Well, hey, uh, so good to see you. We are entering into the second week of a series that I am super excited about. Anybody come out last Thursday for, for the first week? Come on. So we're getting into a, uh, a series that we're calling Why Jesus? And kind of an apologetics type series, if you're familiar with that term. Um, but really entering into a conversation about how, how can you, you know, why should you choose Jesus over all the options? Or maybe you have questions about how do I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? There's so many things out there. And um, we know that those are probably conversations that you're having with friends. If you're in college, you may be having conversations with professors who are telling you different perspectives and views. And so we wanted to just enter into the conversation and give you a biblical worldview. And so uh, last week we started by Steve Walton came. He's one of our campus pastors, and he entered, um, or he began the conversation talking about the power of the resurrection and how if the resurrection stands to be true, then our faith stands and how you can be confident in that. It was so great. I, I loved it. And so tonight we're getting into the second part of this talk, um, and we're going to discover kind of a next level or a new level in that, and I'm super pumped to uh, have my friend here. I've asked someone to come and to bring the word, and his name is Pastor. I'm gonna give him that title, Pastor Trey Hildebrand. Will you guys welcome Trey to the stage? And I'll tell you a little bit about Trey while he's walking up. Uh, Trey is the campus pastor at our Snellville campus. Come on. Any love? Any love? Any love? We got from Snellville people. No, no love. Some love. <laughs> and uh, Trey, you've been out there for how long now? Four and a half years. Yes, yeah, Snubble Campus, four yeah. and a half years. Well, since the Snubble, close to the time the Snubble Campus got started. Yeah, yeah. but he's, uh, you're a Georgia boy, right? Yeah, born and raised, Valdosta, Georgia. Any Ooh. South Georgia? South Georgia? Nobody. None of that either. All right. Glad to be here with you guys tonight. It's going to be <laughs> going to be great. Everyone says they're from Atlanta. You're not. You're from Sugar That's Hill. Right. That's Atlanta. right. Um, anyways, so I've asked Trey to come lead us in this conversation because uh, I won't say he's an expert. But he spent a lot of time, in fact, Super a lot of his, that. he may share with you a little bit about it, but a lot of his academics have been around studying this stuff, and so um, he's well-versed in it. Okay. Yeah. Just for you, man. Thanks, man. So do me a favor, one last time, welcome Trey Hildebrandt. <laughs> hey, so yeah, honored to be here, honored to be here. It is 8.15. Uh, this is usually bedtime for me. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And so when we go home, about 7.45, we start the bedtime process, uh, and then by 8.30, we're, we're kind of there. If you know what I'm talking about, so my wife is in it right now all by herself, uh, so pray for her. But uh, I'm honored to be here with you guys tonight. Man, I, I feel life from you as I see you worshiping, as I see you engaging, I see you praying over each other, talking with each other, hanging out. Um, I want to uh, take just a second and appreciate Austin and his leadership. Um, really, man. Uh, and here's and, and here's why. Here's why. One, obviously, God's doing a work in your ministry. Super excited to be a part of uh, of Twelve Stone because you're here. Uh, also, I want you to know that I came to love Jesus as an 18 year old at Valdosta State University. So I look back on uh, when I came to faith in Christ, uh, and and I think about uh, college. And in the next four to five years, or six years, however long it took me to finish my undergrad, anybody willing to raise your hand and say you're on your victory lap, year five? Always, always, loud and proud. Um, 
Man, I, 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 a guy, when I was, a, I was a college student at Valdosta State, living on the dorms, uh, living in the dorms of Valdosta, a, a 23-year-old RA uh, invited me into a Bible study. I had grown up in a, in a home with a pastor, so I felt the, the obligation to go to a Bible study, uh, if you've ever gone through that before. And man, over the next three to four months, a guy named Brett taught me how to read the Bible in the halls of a dorm at Valdosta State, um, and man, gave my life to Christ, and, and it's never really been the same. Uh, and so I would encourage you to soak up your time in this season, uh, in this college ministry, because here's what I, I think. I look back on my college years and some of the sweetest, most formative years in my faith, uh, some of the best relationships, people to this day. Uh, you know those people where you can just kind of call and connect with, and it's like you can not talk for years, and you call and you talk to them, and it's like you're my best friend still? Uh, those are my college friends, and so I hope that God blesses you with those type of relationships a little bit more about myself to jump in. Um, uh, here's a picture of my family, uh, my beautiful wife. Um, there, there she is. Um, my, uh, my oldest uh, is almost five. His name is Bear. And then my youngest, Jude, uh, is three. And so they, they keep our lives full and exciting. And so when I come in here, uh, I think about, uh, I found myself thinking about my, my, my sons in preparation for this teaching, because here's what I want for my sons. I want my sons to have a fulfilling life. I want my sons to live a joyful life. I want my sons to be influential for things that matter in their lives. But it connected to that thought is they have to realize that there's something more than just what they see and what they feel. There's something more than just this physical life. There, there's more to this. And I pray that at a young age that they would come to grips with this, with this truth that, that Jesus loves them and that he kind of calls our lives to him. And that they would have faith in Jesus because ultimately it's faith that unlocks the gift of salvation. I believe that my, my sons won't have a full life today if they don't have eternal life for their forever. And I believe that comes only, only through Jesus. And you talked a lot about that last week with, uh, with, with Steve. I'm going to draw on the board a little bit because I like to draw when I write. It helps me think. Maybe it'll help you think. Last week, you talked a lot about why Jesus and, and the reliability of the person of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How do we trust this? Why do we believe that he was uh, the son of God and that he actually is the savior if we place our faith in him? Today, I want to take it a little more broad. Uh, of course, that is the foundation of why we follow Christ. Today, I want to have this conversation of, of, of why religion. Like, let's open it up a little bit. I'm going to probably scribble and then rip a page, and it's going to be tons of fun. Why religion? But let me say this. We're, we're going to dig into this idea of apologetics uh, and, and kind of the defense of the faith. But ultimately, apologetics can only kind of like crack the door open. Like it might pull down a little bit of a barrier for you to get some answers to your questions. I believe it is about faith. And you saying yes to Jesus and, and, and believing in him as the, as the savior of the world, that he is your Lord, that he actually did pay for your sin, that he really did rise from the, from the grave. That's what brings salvation. But apologetics might help us get there. Think about it like this. Faith is this unseeing, honest trust, but that doesn't mean it's the absence of, of reason. Faith doesn't mean there's no reason. It doesn't mean there's no use of the mind. It doesn't mean there's no use of intellect. And so that's what we're going to hopefully dig into, and hopefully you'll find it really helpful. Here, here's a, a truth that I bet you'll agree with. It's easy to get really, really confused today. I, I think probably easier to get confused than ever before because of how connected you guys are to the world with our phones. 
We have more, more uh, uh, visibility to other religions. We have more visibility to other worldviews. We have vis- visibility to other thoughts than, than ever before. I kind of I kind of like, I'm thankful a little bit. I'm just enough out, like older than you guys. I'm 30. I'm just enough uh, kind of in that next generation to remember dial-up internet. Anybody? Some of you, okay, got some dial-up internet, folks. I was, I was reading some research about Gen Z. Uh, Gen Z is like 21-year-olds and below. You're like the first generation that's grown up in the world uh, not knowing that dial tone. You know what I'm talking about? Like you've always known high-speed internet. So here's, here's, the, here's the tension with that. You've always had information at your fingertips. And what that means is you've seen uh, uh, multiple answers to tough questions. You've seen a view to multiple religions. You've seen a, a, a view to, to non-religion, obviously. And, and what I, I hope tonight what we can do a little bit is, is allow for truth to kind of be that really bright spot in the midst of a fog of tons of answers. What's true? What's, what's not true? Can we even say if anything is true? To help illustrate this, I want to share a story with you. Uh, probably three or four years ago, I had just become the campus pastor at our Snellville campus, and a couple found me at church, and they wanted to begin the journey of premarital. Wanted to start the conversation. They're getting married. They want to begin this conversation of what it would mean to have a healthy marriage. And so we began to meet up, and we met twice before the husband, his name was Saeed. Saeed had to go off um, for a few months. He was with the military. He goes off to a few months for a few months uh, with the military. Saeed comes back, and, and, and prior to leaving for that trip, Saeed was, uh, he was a, a proclaimed follower of Christ. So the first couple times we're meeting together, that's like where I go first, so I'm going to marry a couple. It's like, well, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? All right, we can go forward. Well, he comes back from, from the military just really, really confused. Uh, and while he was gone, he was exposed to some beliefs and he had come back and his, his words, not mine. Hey, Trey, I'm kind of a mix now between Islam, Buddhism, and a little bit of the teachings of Jesus. I don't, I mean, I guess he was just kind of like adding ingredients for dinner and, and he, and he kind of stirred it together. And he said, this is what I, this is how I'm going to live my life. Well, I, as you can imagine, his, his fiance was like, I mean, she was bothered by this, spooked by this, because she, she was under this, this pretense of what he was, and then he goes away, and he comes back uh, really confused, and, and so she asked me to meet up with him to have the conversation about the gospel, and we did. Saeed and I began to meet up, and the first time we met up, he was really hostile towards me. I mean, he pushed, and here's why. For him, in his mind, I represented the Christian who grew up in Georgia, southern United States. I'm only a Christian because I grew up where I grew up. So when he began to hear the gospel from me again, in his mind, he's like, dude, uh, dude, the only reason you're saying this, if you had grown up in India, you might be Hindu. If you had grown up in Thailand, you might be Buddhist. If you had grown up in the Middle East, you might be uh, a Muslim. And, and so we pushed a little bit. And the first time we met, I did not feel great about our conversation. But he wanted to meet up again. So we got together. And in my undergrad, I'd, I'd gotten a, a biblical and theological degree in my undergrad. And I'd taken a few classes on philosophy and world religions. And so I thought, you know what? Instead of talking at him, I'm going to talk with him. Maybe that's a good thought for you to remember. I, mean, I wasn't going to talk at him because I felt the urge to. I felt to kind of get to truth and go, bro. But I realized that wasn't going to get us anywhere. So he was interested in Buddhism and Islam, especially with a little bit of the teachings of Jesus, I guess, as, as kind of the salt on top. And we began to talk, and, and he was shocked that I knew how to talk semi-intelligently about the core tenets of Islam. 
and even the, the, the core tenets of, of Buddhism. And we met that time, met again and met again. And over the course of our conversation, I saw his walls start to fall down because he was having a conversation with a Christian who wasn't hiding in a bubble, kind of scared to talk about, even mention out loud another religion in a sense of like, tell me about that. Tell me about what you think. I saw his heart reopen to the gospel. Now, I wish I could tell you that Sai eventually surrendered his life back to Christ. I, I don't know where Sai is today, but I will tell you this, that our last conversation, he was so close to giving his life to Jesus. But without being able to talk about religion in general, we would never have gotten there. I bet you've had moments kind of similar to that, where you've wondered if Christianity is true. Maybe if I had grown up somewhere else, I'd be a Muslim, and maybe I would believe staunchly that that is true. Or maybe, maybe you just would think... Maybe they're all kind of true. Maybe you've heard people that talk about, well, maybe that way is, is good, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. But to get to where we want to go today, I want to talk a little bit about religion in general. Let's just talk about religion. So for a moment, uh, don't think about it through the lens of Christianity or Islam or Buddhism. Let's just kind of talk about religion in general, and why is it such an important thing to humans? There is this term I want to introduce you to that's new to me. Uh, anthropologists today, people who study uh, human, humans and kind of our history and how we grow and all that, they're starting to call humans telic creatures. I think that's going to be on the screen, telic creatures. Here's what this means. Humans uh, are, are different from any other animal because we are purpose-driven. That's what it means by tell it. We're purpose-driven. We're creative and we're curious. We, we begin to seek things outside of ourselves. You know, human beings are separated from, from uh, other creatures in a lot of different ways. But one of the chief ways is that we uh, have the capacity to call into question our very existence. Think about it. We have the capacity to wonder, why are we even here? No other creature on the planet deals with that type of question. And so what psychologists and philosophers start calling it, so you have this problem of human existence. Why, why are we here? And what happens is there's really only two ways that satisfies kind of the human heart in our mind when you begin to dig in. And it's the search for two things. The first is purpose. The next is significance. This is fundamentally a, a what separates us from, from other creatures. And so we begin to see that there's something deeper inside of humans that keeps us looking, that keeps us seeking, that keeps us saying, well, I don't know if that's, that's it. And here's what I think it is. The Bible tells us we were made in the image of God. I think the image of God inside of us is crying out to be connected to God again. But, but... Like we've already said, we live in a world that's kind of like, well, well, what if, what if it's this or what if it's that? But no matter the time in history, the culture, the context, humans seek purpose outside of themselves. And here's the deal. It doesn't always sit in religion. Maybe you're here because you're, maybe some of us would agree that you may, maybe you've sought purpose in the opposite sex before. Maybe you're there right now. Where, where your, your happiness and your sense of worth, your sense of significance kind of rises and falls on what he says or she says or if that text is, is left on red or not. Maybe you're kind of like me. I struggle with, with keeping a lot of my happiness kind of squared away in sports. I'm a Florida State football fan. Shut your mouth. Who? You don't know me, whoever. I'm kind of offended now. 
uh, awesome. No, so I guess so. Here's what happens. I, I so love Florida State football that when I went back to get my master's degree, I thought, man, I, I didn't go to Florida State, so maybe, just maybe, I should go there and get a degree from there so I can own my fandom a little bit more because I felt like I couldn't quite own my fandom if I didn't go to school there. So I looked at some of their graduate uh, degrees in philosophy, and my wife and I were trying to pray through if this is where I'm going to go, and the price tag was like $55,000 for a two-year degree. Some of you are like, that's nothing. I got that in my undergrad. I'll pray for you. But but we decided not to go there. So as a Florida State fan, though, this past year was really, really hard. We were seven and six, or six and seven, horrible year, didn't make a ball game. And I would find myself on Saturdays just feeling really depressed. Got to the point where my wife's like, you haven't watched a lot of football this year. I was like, there wasn't a lot of football to watch. And so we, we pulled away um, and I found myself how quickly, you know, kind of jokingly, but kind of serious, we find our purpose and our significance in things outside of ourselves. That, that aren't right. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's the search of a dream job. Maybe it's school. The cool thing is about what happens when we begin to, to, to open up our minds to this thought is we begin to see that religious thinking is, is kind of core to who we are. Let me share this quote with you because here, here's, here's what a lot of people would commonly believe. A lot of people would commonly believe that uh, uh, as, as we get more technologically advanced, that, that uh, religious thinking would actually go down, right? Maybe you've thought that and heard that. As science improves, as we get learned more, that, that t- uh, the religious belief would go down. But listen to what the uh, sociologist said in a recent academic magazine. He says, sociologists jumped the gun when they said the growth of modernization would bring the growth of secularization and unbelief. This is not what we're seeing. People need religion. So when you look around and you think that religion is decreasing, in fact, they would say right now, uh, four out of five people in the world believe in God. Though it might be kind of weird in our world where we're growing more secular in places like Africa and in the country of China and India, for example, the gospel is on fire. It's changing lives. Another guy wrote it like this, Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller wrote it in a book called Making Sense of God. The world is expected to become more religious, not less. There is something inside of us. And you know what I love? I love when the Bible talks about things long before sociologists figure it out. Like when the truth is there all along and they're, oh my gosh, I'm going to do all the research. I'm going to figure it out. And I'm like, dude, it's there. Because this is what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says. It says that God has placed, the eternity, uh, God has placed eternity in our hearts. God's placed eternity in the heart of man. There's this design inside of us where we are religious in nature, seeking to worship something or someone outside of ourselves. You know, and culture doesn't do a great job of helping us answer the questions that we have about purpose and significance. If you're taking notes, there's a thought that I think would be powerful. So our souls turn to religion because religion more closely answers our soul's deepest questions. Our deepest longings, our deepest concerns, our deepest deepest view of life. I'm not anti-science. In fact, I would say that that science reveals the nature and the character and the wisdom of God. But what I am saying is, is just the tangible by itself does not get to our soul, doesn't get to our identity. Because God has wired something of himself deep into who we are. So we have this longing for the divine, this longing for something supernatural that only God can satisfy. And in this case, as I, as I think about religion, one of the greatest obstacles to us today is plural, plural, try to say that five times fast, pluralism, pluralism. 
<laughs> Seriously, let's all try to say that together. One, two, three. It's harder than it looks. Okay, pluralism. Here, here's ultimately what this means, is that multiple things, multiple belief systems, multiple religions can get you to God. This is common, right? That, that, that your way can be your way. And so our culture uses words like spirituality and perhaps even tolerance. And we, we say things like this, I'm good with what you believe as long as it doesn't attack what I believe. Or maybe uh, thoughts like there is no exclusive truth because uh, that would offend and break down the relationship. I mean, I don't, here, here's, I don't think the thought of no exclusive truth, no absolute, I don't think it stands very long, even under just simple logic. There is truth. So we're digging into why religion. So if religion, so religion is in who we are, so then we have to ask the question, what's true? But to even ask the question of what's true, you've got to believe that there is truth, that there is the absolute, an absolute truth. Let me kind of give two kind of thoughts as to what I think defends truth. The first one is, when people say there is no absolute truth, it's impossible to live in a, in a, in a, in a world where you think there's no truth. Let me give you an example. My, my, my oldest is, is learning that he can manipulate us. It's amazing. Like a four, a four and a half year old, almost five, can just straight up try to manipulate mom and dad. And here's how he does it. He learned that certain words don't get him uh, as in trouble as other things. Like uh, we hear our kid, our youngest cry from the other room. Bear comes running into the living room. Daddy, it was an accident. <laughs> oh, okay, buddy. That's all right. Oh, Jude, I'm so sorry. And Jude's only three, so he can't really articulate what's happening. Um, and then we begin to learn. When Bear says that it's an accident... It probably wasn't. And, and so one day I was watching him and he took like, a, like his toy golf club and just straight across his brother's face. Just straight across his brother's face. Jude, Jude freaks out, turns to me, and, and, or Jude freaks out. Bear turns to me and goes, it was an accident. And I'm like, dude, I saw you do it. Right? We can't live in a world, we can't live in a world where we make up our own meanings. Think, th th connect the illustration. We can't live in a world for long where we make up our own meanings to what's right and wrong and definition for things. Society disintegrates. Think, society disintegrates if we begin to elevate and say, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. It doesn't work. It works in conversation. Right? You can say that in conversation. Well, I don't believe there's absolute truth. But nobody actually lives that way. The second way we can support truth with just logic is uh, the very statement, the very declaration of, absolute tr of saying there is no absolute truth. When somebody says there is no absolute truth, is in fact a declaration of absolute truth in and of itself. Because you're assuming in that moment that you have all knowledge of all things everywhere and you're fully prepared to say that I don't think any of that is true, which is a truth statement in and of itself. And so you get this circular argument and logic really, really quickly. You're using absolute truth to declare that there is no absolute truth. Because when someone says, well, you can't know enough to be certain about God or religion without assuming that you don't, you can't say that without assuming at the moment that you know enough about all things in order to be certain about that. Does that make sense at all? So we believe together that there is truth. And for us, our truth is Jesus. In the midst of world religions, 
uh, most scholars are breaking it down to 12 major world religions. I'm going to throw them on the screen. 12 major world religions that we have to sift through to figure out what is true. These are Baha'i, Buddhism, Christianity, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Judaism, Shinto, Sikhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism. Those are kind of the 12 major world religions. And now, of course, there's hundreds more. There's offshoots of those. There's smaller uh, tribal religions. But if you were to package them all, they would fit somewhere in these 12. And so when you look at all of these 12, how do you know what is true and what is not true? I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to invite a friend up to the stage in just a second. But before we do, I want to read you a passage about uh, how do we begin to see what is false and what is true? How do we put a name to God? How do we know that what we believe is, the, is, the, is in relation to the true God and what is false? Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20, if you want to know a passage of Scripture that I believe speaks to the nature of false religion. He says this in Romans 1, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image or the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. At the core of false religion is filling the desire for the eternal with someone or something outside of the one true God. We've made an exchange for what is unholy for what was holy because we'd rather be able to feel good to form our own, our own explanation of truth, our own explanation of things, to get our hands around it. And God says, the second that you take uh, that internal desire that I put inside of you and place it on anyone, any other deity listed in another religion, any other person, any other thing, I begin to, to that in that moment becomes false and isn't real. And ultimately leads to not only a broken life today, but a broken eternity. But how do we have the audacity to put a name to God? To say that there is only one way to heaven. I want to share with you real quick about a man who wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And then we're going to bring Madur up on the stage. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. There was a man named Nabil Qureshi. I think Nabil's journey through this book. I think they're going to throw a picture of the book on the screen. Nabil's journey through this book. From Islam to Christianity, if you want to dig into some of the answers and some of the reasons behind this, some of, the, some of the investigations and digging of somebody who came from a different walk of life, he was a Pakistani Muslim, and how he came to faith in Christ, I would encourage you to go grab this book. But Nabil goes on a journey to combat Christianity. In fact, he wanted to prove his buddies wrong. He was a devout Muslim speaking in his mosque. He was growing to maybe become even an imam inside of uh, the Muslim faith. But in this journey of investigating Christianity, he sought out four questions. He said, if I can answer these four questions, I can prove that Islam is true. So his first question is, can I believe the Bible? Think about it. The most important question you could ask if you're wanting to defend Christianity, think about it, guys. It all comes from the idea that the Bible is God's holy word. 
If you don't know how to defend it, we're not going to get into it today. But if you're not sure why we call the Bible God's word, everything else that we say about Jesus flows from Scripture. So we go down to the foundation, like Nabil does in the book, and he decides to say, I wonder if the Bible's been altered. I wonder if it's been changed through history. And he finds out that the Bible is actually a historical, reliable document. So his next place was, okay, if the Bible actually hasn't been changed, did Jesus claim to be God? Did Jesus claim to be God? He wanted to dig in to see. He didn't believe as a Muslim that Jesus ever even made that claim because Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, not the son of God. So he wanted to know, did Jesus claim to be God? The next question that he sought was, did Jesus actually die? Here's a really cool fun fact here. Did Jesus die? Is that Muslims don't even believe that, they believe that Jesus as the prophet was put on the cross. They just don't believe that he stayed there. You know why? Because the next question is, did he rise? Is Jesus alive? Because the, 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 it was found that Jesus actually did walk around beyond his death. So if Jesus was alive after the time he thought he died, they, they believe that Jesus must have been taken off of the cross prior to his death. This is called the swoon theory. That Jesus actually didn't die on the cross, but was pried off prior to his death because the evidence was so strong that Jesus was actually alive. Nabil goes on a five-year journey. He is an Oxford-educated medical doctor who grew up staunch Muslim, but he gave up his family. He gave up uh, relationships when he investigated and prayed, and eventually he found the answer to all four of these are yes. I can't go into the defense of these. But he said he found the, the evidence that we have points to yes to all four of these. And Nabil gave his life to Jesus at the expense of his family. There is reason to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But I don't want you to just hear from me. I want you to hear from somebody who walked through this himself. Madur, come on up to the stage, man. Madur and I are going to dig into this conversation. I know I, moved, I know I moved really fast, but uh, not only did, did Nabil find the hope that he needed and the answers to these questions that led him to place his faith in Jesus, to walk away from his Islamic faith, but of course, he had to come to a place where God softened his heart and there were people praying for him and friends who were sharing the gospel with him. And, and that is an inspiring story that you can read about. But Madur, maybe you recognize his face. He was in the bumper video for the teaching series we've had on Sundays here at 12 Stone. <laughs> Uh, and he's going to say more than one line tonight um, about his faith. Uh, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear a little bit more about Madur. And Madur and I are, are great friends. And so we hope to just kind of chit-chat a little bit about his life and hope that it inspires you that Jesus really is. Uh, Christianity does stand true among other religions. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, man, I really appreciate you guys uh, letting me be here. Before I even start, I think uh, it needs to be said and I was just even thinking about this during worship that I think there's some of you in this room thinking that you were here by accident in this room tonight. I don't think you are. I think there's some of you who've been growing up in faith and, and been a Christian for a long time, but you are really uh, asking some really good questions about your faith. And I think you're supposed to be here. And I know some of you are in here who has not even started that journey and you're seeking and you're wondering and wandering and you're thinking about significance and purpose. And I just want you to know if that's you, this time right now, tonight, you're not here by accident. 
I think God's going to stir some things in you tonight that you're not going to be able to shake, and, and I'm excited about that. So a little bit about myself. I do work here at 12 Stone. I'm, oh, yeah, uh, that's direct- a good point. <laughs> uh, director of groups here at 12 Stone. I've uh, been at Snowball Campus. It's been amazing. I love this church. I love Austin and what he's doing here. And um, So a little bit of my story. I grew up in India. I lived in a city called New Delhi. And um, uh, I don't know if you know much about India, but northern India is a city of 27 million people. <laughs> it's crazy. Compare that to Atlanta. It's like uh, Atlanta 600,000. And so if you think the traffic is bad <laughs> and the uh, roads are crazy, uh, New Delhi is just an uh, unbelievable place. And uh, I grew up in a city where, uh, you know, a lot of what Trey was talking about, pluralism, there's a lot of uh, diversity in that city. There, uh, India claims to be the largest democracy uh, in the world. Um, and, uh, but in that big uh, country uh, with population, um, there's less than 2% Christians. Um, majority of people who are in that country are either Muslim or Hindu. And I grew up as a devout Hindu. Uh, my parents, amazing parents. Amazing parents. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> they are amazing. I'm not lying. Um, but both very well educated. They both had uh, post uh, undergrad degrees. My dad, uh, entrepreneur, but marketing. My mom's an occupational therapist. I uh, also have a sister who's a year and a half uh, younger than me. And then, so I grew up in India where, uh, when I say devout, it wasn't just, hey, we're Hindus. But my mom, uh, if you know a little bit more about the culture, she belonged to uh, a level of sort of family that we would consider to be pastor's family or pundits is what we call it, Brahmins. And we would go and, and actually engage in our faith. Uh, and we would go to temples, we would do all these rituals, and, and just even at a young age, around you know, nine or ten, my parents did an awesome job to always give us freedom to ask questions and be curious, but even in a small, you know, young age, I never understood why we were doing all these things for this God. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I just was wondering, am I just doing something that my parents are telling me to do, or is this God real? And even at a young age, my mom would even tell me now, uh, I, I would ask this question, and I think this question followed me all of my life, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I always wondered why we had to do so much uh, to have his love. Like, am I not worth loving? Why do I have to do so much to uh, earn this God's love? And I just never understood that. Uh, so I grew up there uh, until the age of 10, but uh, my mom's career uh, had some opportunities, and my dad kind of pushed her a little bit in this direction, but we started to explore to move to the States, uh, and that was a huge deal, uh, but we decided to move to the States, and my parents moved first, lived without my parents, with my grandparents for a year and a half and stuff, and that was crazy time, because I was asking these questions about God, but now I'm wondering even more, like, God, who is this God? I keep doing these things, and my life's not making any sense. Uh, but then finally, me and my sister moved, and we moved around a lot. We moved in a lot of weird cities. Like uh, The other day, I was getting a haircut, and this girl was from Kansas. And I was like, I actually lived in Kansas. She's like, you must have been the only brown person there. I'm like, yep. <laughs> it was crazy. So that was a culture shock in itself to go, oh, my gosh, I'm in the United States. But then we moved around a lot. It's a pretty intense thing for somebody just to say to you, why are you getting oh, a haircut? Oh, she's brown, too. Oh, she's brown, too. Got yeah. it. All right. I should have Allow that to be a lesson for all us white people. Yeah, if you're white, don't come to me and say brown people. 
deal. <laughs> no, we were talking, and me, me and her were vibing. We were good. She was a person of color. I was a person of color. But, but we moved around a lot. But then we finally uh, settled in this city called Griffin. It's uh, about an hour and a half south of here. Uh, if you know Griffin, I'm sorry. Griffin's crazy. Uh, but that's where I went to middle school and high school. And uh, that's where really a lot of my questions continue to, you know, come with me. So, so you grew up uh, in a devout Hindu family. You can drink from a water. We're that close. Um, you reach for it. Uh, you do, uh, grew up in a devout Hindu family, yeah. which, which take note, guys, this is what's important, is a lot of people have this perception of where you grow up uh, is, is naturally the connecting point to what you believe. And I think no matter where you grew up, we would encourage you to do what Nabil did in his book, what Madur uh, did, was go on a journey and test it. Yeah. Test it. Ask the tough questions. God can handle your tough questions. So Madur, you grew up in a, a Hindu family, but there was something that was nagging at you. Um, so tell us about that journey yeah. from Hinduism to giving your life to, to Christ. Yeah, and I, I want to speak into that too. Uh, you know, Austin's given a little bit of freedom with time a little bit, uh, but I want to just, you know, speak into you, you'll, if you're a Christian especially, you'll probably get asked, hey, what about this kid in this island who's never heard? And, and, you know, first and foremost, if you know that kid, man, why don't we go and go preach the gospel to this kid? Like, if we know this person, like, why are we just talking about this hypothetical person? Go and do it. Uh, but I would say my story resonates with there's, there's this, uh, there is no kid who doesn't know this creator. There is things that are happening that even at a young age, me not knowing anything about Hinduism fully, but even Christianity, but I was wondering about things that Trey talked about, that we are just creatures who are wanting to connect to this creator. We're created beings that are made to worship something, and so there's questions that are being asked. Um, but one of the things that, you know, just turned for me was that question, you know, am I worth loving, and, and you know, why do I have to work so hard? So I denounced, uh, not like a, an angry denouncement, denouncement or anything, I just stopped doing Hindus things. I stopped going to temple and started to really go on this journey, and that was a time where, by the time I got to high school, uh, I try to find that answer uh, in relationships with friends and, and with uh, even my dating relationships, but really started to explore different faiths. So I, I've studied through um, Hinduism first and foremost just because that was my uh, you know, starting point. Uh, but then I studied Islam a lot, uh, Judaism, and then Buddhism. And the more and more I try to search after purpose or significance, the more and more I wanted freedom to be known and feel safe to be myself, the more and more I felt trapped by performing for other people or other things. So every religion that I was interacting with, they would say different things, but it would always come back to the same thing that I was used to. Do all these things and this God will be pleased and he'll accept you. Uh, do all these things, and then he'll be able to give you significance and purpose. And so I really grew tired of that until I got introduced to um, Christianity. And it was a really funny way because I was studying all these religions, and I came across this guy, Jesus, who was just completely egotistical and called himself God. So none of the religions, none of these guys, Allah, you know, Buddha himself, None of them were bold enough to go, I am God. Me and God are one. But this guy named Jesus intrigued me. 
and I started to study this guy. Like, how can this guy have, you know, the boldness to be able to claim to be God? And so I started studying a lot uh, from different authors. C.S. Lewis was a big, uh, big deal. I, I knew that I couldn't come to faith by leaving my brain behind. So my approach to learning was really wanting to learn the deep stuff and ask those tough questions. But at the same time, I knew that I didn't want to follow some knowledge, right? Like none of us want to just know and follow like information. And at that time, I was introduced to a bunch of my high school friends who are still my friends now. And a bunch of high school students over time began to answer questions that I was really struggling with. And it wasn't like they were encyclopedia Bible and they were like geniuses. There's no varsity team for Christianity, right? Like they were just a bunch of high school kids who really, what I was learning about Jesus, they just showed me who he was. Hmm. And so when I would ask questions, tough question, one of my closest friends, Ashley, she's still my friend. She married my best friend. She was the main person that would interact with me almost on a daily basis. And we would ask really tough questions. And she would do the best thing possible, which is if she had an answer, she would show me, tell me, and love me. But if she didn't, she would uh, love me and care for me and say, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you. And she would come back with an answer and be like, hey, let's talk more. Uh, and over time, the more and more I start studying about him, the more and more I got to see him around the dinner table. I got to see Jesus around their dinner table. They would invite me over to their house. I got to see who Jesus was uh, in their parents' marriage. I got to see Jesus in the way they hung out with each other and the way they loved each other. And, and something began to just really change in me. Wow. And as you began to become more convinced yeah. that Jesus was who he said he was, he is one with the Father, he is God himself, um, and then surrendered your, your life to him, it, that cost, that cost yeah. you, Madur. Tell us a little bit about what that cost was. Yeah, so, so you know, the question uh, ultimately came down to that question. Uh, I remember, like, in, I was in 11th grade, um, and me and Ashley were just sitting down for lunch, and... And I was like, Ashley, you've been doing such a great job of just allowing me to be a butthole because, you know, when somebody's <laughs> curious about faith, they come at you <laughs> like a jerk. And, and I had been a jerk to her at times. And I would just ask her a question. But then ultimately I said, Ashley, I still don't understand why do I have to work so hard uh, for someone to love me, but really for Jesus to love me. Am I not worth loving? And, and she said, you don't have to. You don't have to work for his love. you got to allow his love to work in you. And the first scripture that I ever saw at age 17 um, when the Bible was open to me was Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And if you don't know that verse, I, I pray that if you're seeking, open up a Bible or have someone show you where that is and allow that verse to just speak to you the way it is. But what it says in summary is that uh, it is through faith and grace by God that I have been saved, that it is a gift from him, not my own works. But his love and grace, uh, is a, uh, he has created me to be a workmanship through that grace uh, to be someone who has a purpose. And I don't know, guys, but in that moment, I didn't even know the weight I was carrying. In that, in that moment, the weight just felt lifted, and I began to just realize that all the religions, all the relationships I've been searching for this answer, Christ was someone who saw my worth 
And, and yes, I wasn't worthy, but he saw my worth and he elevated my worth by dying on the cross. And I realized that at that moment that my worthiness was no longer dependent on me for the rest of my life. That the love of Christ has been satisfied on the cross and he has resurrected uh, with that love. And so I make that decision. <laughs> and then the question comes, right? Like I grew up in a devout Hindu family. They've been really great, uh, liberal parents, really great about hey, search your own way, study, but I know that they have never, would have never imagined for me to pick another faith. And so um, after a few months of me being a Christian in a small town, I knew that they were going to find out somehow because I was still going to church, and I finally had the courage to talk to my mom. And my mom is probably um, one of the most special people in my life, and, and she was one of the most devout uh, Hindus that I saw. And and I told her in one night, and, and, you know, to this day, I remember she, I mean, we, we were both crying. Um, and I've just never seen my mom be hurt as I saw her in that night, right? And, and I saw this woman that I love so much who gave me birth. And, and, and in her most loving intentions, I don't think she ever meant it to be what she said, but she said, I feel like I've lost my son forever. And... Um, and to this day, like, we have incredible relationship. Like, I have two boys, my wife Amy. They're coming over this Saturday to watch my boys play. But my faith in Christ has definitely, for now, has set a, you know, separation uh, between me and my family. So my parents are still devout Hindu. My sister is still devout Hindu. Um, and, you know, I just realized in my journey that sometimes, especially in rooms where, um, where we are talking about Jesus, and if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, I think sometimes we make it too casual to think that accepting Jesus is, is easy, but it didn't cost anything. Uh, and I don't think everybody has to pay anything because Jesus ultimately did pay, but I don't, what, it, what that does is we don't realize the depth of love that he has for us. Because in that moment, that night, I had to have an honest conversation with Jesus, and I have those conversations on a constant basis, being in full-time ministry. Trey's been part of those conversations with me where I have to ask Christ, like, when are you going to show up? But the second verse that I ever saw was in Philippians um, 2. I think it's Philippians 2. And, and God just pointed me to that, and I'll, I'll close with this, that in that night when I was asking him, he, he happened to point me to that verse, and Paul talks about all these things that he has on earth. He talks about being a Roman citizen. He talks about the rich, riches that he has. But he says this, and, and it continues to minister to me. He says, but there is nothing as close to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I can tell you with confidence that for 22 years I followed Christ. I've had moments where I've wondered when God's going to call my family home, but there has never been a question of am I loved fully for what he's done for me and completely being satisfied in that love for 22 years. And, and I still stand by that truth of there's nothing compared to the love of Christ. Um, and, and, and that just changed my life. Hey, guys, can we thank Madhur for sharing that? Um, it's, um, so let's, um, let's, let's finish up with just a little bit of, of practicality for you. One, I would like you to know this, that I believe that Christianity does stand strong underneath your questions and your investigations and your digging. 
Two, I believe that Christianity stands out among other religions because uh, our God has pursued us and we didn't have to work for his earning. And three, if you give your life to Christ, uh, you have an invitation to help other people find Jesus. Madur said he gave his life to Jesus sitting around a table eating dinner with some friends. Who, who do you need to talk with rather than talk at? And when you come up to questions that you don't know the answer to, do you have the humility to say, hey, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to go talk with Austin or a leader or a friend in order to get answers to those questions? Because here's the truth. Ultimately, people need Jesus. They, we believe it together that Jesus, if he really is alive today, then this right here changes things. And Jesus is alive. He is the only way to salvation. Christianity is true. So what are you going to do with it? Uh, Madura, we'd love for you to pray over this room and we'll be done. I do want to speak to the Christians in the room. Oh, I do want to speak to the Christians in the room uh, before I pray. I, I want you to hear everything tonight uh, and, and hold the tension together because some of you are going to feel so pressured and you're going to go, oh my gosh, Jesus is counting on me to bring this, these, uh, these people to, uh, to him and and, and there's some real pressure on you, but it's not all on you, so breathe. But I also believe that a lot of us as Christians are taking our lives way too casually and seeing our purpose way too small to think that you are not the plan A for Jesus Christ. There are people who are far from God and near to you, and, and if it doesn't mess your sleep up to know that you have to just love them and show them Christ, I, I hope it does. I hope tonight you can go to sleep without knowing the names of the people who are near you. And some of you even have family that are very similar to my family who would never, ever be open to a free love of Christ. But because of you, they're going to understand who that is. So I just, I, I really do want to invite the Christians into this uh, relationship that he's always given you, but, but also the high calling on your life. Because there is no varsity team. You're not going to have all the answers. But man, will he do miraculous things through your faithfulness of loving someone with not just your actions, but your words and truth and, and your answers. So let me pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for allowing me, even tonight as I share, knowing with certainty that your love for me surpasses any love I can ever work for. There's not uh, a wife or child that I have or family that I have will ever come close to the love that I feel and experience and believe in, like the love that you've shown me on the cross and then you resurrected God. And so I pray for this room, that this room will be forever changed, that they will never come into this room just to sing songs, just to hear a message. But God, I pray that tonight your spirit will go forth in them for those who claim the name of Jesus, that you will convict, guide, and lead, and love them to go and change the world outside these walls. And they will come back every week, not just wanting to be fed, but to celebrate the life change that they're experiencing in them and through them, God. And God, I pray for those who are in here who a lot of people may not even know are asking and, and wondering and doubting if they even believe in you. God, I pray right now in this moment, there would be a sense of peace and nearness that they have never experienced with you that they can't even explain, but they are hungry to know more. And I pray that as they seek, uh, they doubt you, they doubt well, but they also seek well, that they ask questions 
and they go to you for answers, God, because you're the only one who knows. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.